0: Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. Today, we continue our discussion about returning to the workplace, often after years of working remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. Our guide is Dr. Janet Schlaes, the director of the Center for Innovative Lifelong Learning at Rush University Medical Center and an expert on organizational and leadership development. Dr. Schlaes has written about the impact of the pandemic on workers and their relationship to the workplace. You can find links to some of her articles in the show notes. In the previous episode, we talked about the stresses that returning workers are facing. Today we talk about ways that organizations can create an optimal workplace, one that provides a healthy environment for employees while remaining productive and profitable. Seems like the the uh, the baseline, if you will, is one of chronic stress. That's that's the new normal. Even as you say we may be past the sort of acute or crisis phase, we're still in a, a period of ongoing stressors. Whether they're at the individual level, in in the workplace, what does it mean to come in face to face? How do you push back against that? How do you deal with all of these? demands. Uh, What do you do with these newly developed values? Or even at the level of the higher levels, we're we're certainly economically, uh, we're we're going through a period of of inflation, we're going through a period of economic strife. Globally, we we have great uh, political upheaval, uh, war in Europe for the first time in decades, climate change, these sort of existential issues kind of all coming together at this one moment in time, uh, even though three years may feel like more than a moment. I'm wondering about this both from the sort of individual person level, but also from the organizational level. So what what's an organization to do? You've talked about new skills. I mean, do we treat every employee uniquely and sort of set up expectations and demands individually for each person? How, how, what, does, what is an organization to do? How do we do this?
1: I, I think there are a couple different th- things. As you were talking, I was thinking about individuals going through redefining or revisiting our values. And, and I do see it as a as a new stage in identity formation, which really, who am I? How do I fit into this world? But how do I want to fit into this world? And what do I what do I need or how can I fit into this world? It's also an existential crisis and organizations are going through the same thing. How do I define, how do we define ourselves as a culture or what does it mean, our values? What do they look like now in a changed world? How do we recruit, engage and retain workers? in a world or economy where people have more choices and they're making the choices. So that goes back to something that we had talked about earlier about people are coming back and negotiating. (laughs) They're negotiating time and structure. And there are people who will not even consider work that isn't 100% remote. And a lot of the positions that are being advertised, and this is globally, are remote. Which there's huge pluses to that because your labor force can be from anywhere within the world, and you have a lot of variety in terms of skill sets. So, what do leaders need to do? A couple of things, and and I'm going to give you broad brush strokes. Not going to get into the nitty gritty, although. We'll be designing a program (laughs) that gets into the nitty gritty because it really is essential. First of all, really honing what does the culture need to look like in order to get the work done? So when I say culture, then I mean structure. How does it need to be structured in order to get the work done? And that really is about stepping back and Not assuming that because it was done a certain way in the past, that it needs to be done that way now. Because the world of work has has changed. There are many roles and positions now and work functions that didn't exist five years ago. And five years from now, 10 years from now, there will be new roles that don't exist today. Adaptability and agility are essential for leaders. So they really need to increase their understanding of all of the complexities of the world of work, which includes their organization, the economy. They need to understand people, individual differences, motivators. Some people are motivated by autonomy. Those are probably people who would thrive in a full remote or partially remote some people are motivated by social social and connecting and collaborating those individuals would probably prefer <laughs> a more face-to-face work culture and nobody has the the time or luxury of addressing everybody as individuals However, having said that, having an understanding, a, and I'm not gonna say general because general is not enough at this point, a more sophisticated understanding of different personality types, different behavioral preferences, differences in values, and creating a flexible work culture and structure, based on choices when choices are available. So you may not be able to choose everything that you would prefer, but here's an area where you can have choices.
0: And it has to be choices that are meaningful to the employees.
1: Correct. Meaningful to the employees and also (laughs) align with what the organization's goals, mission, and concrete deliverables are too. And that's part of, is this culture a good fit? And that's what people, individual workers are assessing, people who were part of the the great resignation as they're coming back into the workforce and they are coming back into the workforce, they're gonna be asking more culture and values-based questions. And I see, I see that as a positive, that you want to be, an organization wants workers that align with the, with the culture of what the organization values, and workers are going to be much happier in an organization whose values and structure align with what they hold most dear. And I'm not talking about 100% perfect fit, but the majority your highest values are aligned with what's going on within an organization and making choices based on self-awareness. The The other thing that is really critical for organizations is to intentionally avoid putting out mixed messages, and, and I think of mixed messages as these are our values, but they're not behaving or supporting what they're putting out there. The other thing that's going to be critical is to really be aware of noticing within your within your employees, your staff as a manager and as a leader, noticing when your people are in overload or are depleted and to really care from an authentic place about your people as people (laughs) beyond workers. That creates an organizational culture and everybody can do that within their own sphere within an organization, creating a culture and interactions of caring and valuing. And what's in the literature now as a culture of appreciation.
0: Can you say more about culture of appreciation? Because as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, my likely stereotypical view of an organization, particularly a big one, is that it's hard for it to have the flexibility that you're suggesting would be useful. But it seems that uh, a culture of appreciation is in some way a, a basic piece of that, a basic component of that. So how can an organization, particularly a large one, develop? a true culture of appreciation, not just in words only.
1: It starts at an individual managerial and leadership level. And I see it just from my own experience, having various leadership roles within the for-profit and not-for-profit organizational cultures throughout my career, that it, it has to be behavior, not just talk. And it starts at an individual and a top leadership level and everything in between. And a cliche way of saying it is to walk your talk. And it starts with valuing yourself, which the great resignation is really characteristic or a representation of people starting to value themselves and not necessarily from a narcissistic or completely ego-based perspective but more from a health healthy perspective which is really important because that impacts the everybody around you within the within the world and one of the things that I focus on in the individual and teamwork that I do is even if you do not have direct reports who you are impacts Everybody around you. It impacts your colleagues. It impacts your leader. It impacts the consumers or clients within an organization, your customers. And in a hospital setting, your patients are your clients and your customers. And there's been a huge emphasis on customer satisfaction in terms of evaluating people within organizations. So it has to be integrated throughout an entire organization. There has to be training involved. We are not born, most of us are not born with with sophisticated emotional intelligence skills. (laughs) Some of us organically develop these skills throughout life and others need to be taught. And these are skills that can be learned and they can be learned by people with different personality types too. And you need a blend of differences in an organization and on a team, you, you do not want everybody thinking exactly the same way. And I'm thinking about my team in particular, we are all different. <laughs> we have different perspectives, we have different mindsets, And one of the things that I say quite often is, tell me about, this is my clinician background, tell me about how you got there. (laughs) I wanna understand your thinking about that. And I sincerely do want to understand their thinking about it, because it's not unusual for people, other people to come up with ideas that would never have even occurred to me and are so much better than anything that I would have come up with individually, so having that kind of approach as a leader and even as an individual contributor, asking your leader help me to understand how that how that works, or communication is really essential as a leader to help your direct reports and culturally all of the the workers that you come in contact with understand why things are being set in motion and that's about respect
0: i can see where a workforce that's coming back with a new set new sets of values and ways to look at values as well as new concerns and new expectations could be perceived from above as you know, pushback and chaotic and all these other things. But I think as you're suggesting, if you sort of allow for that and even perhaps nurture it in one way or another, that out of chaos comes something even even stronger.
1: Absolutely. And it's not that we need to throw away all of the old norms. (laughs) What it means is we need to create the time or the empty space, the necessary empty space to step back and relook at the entire picture with fresh eyes and to ask the questions about what are we responsible for? What do we need to deliver? What is it going to take in terms of approaching that to be successful? What does that look like? And then working within that structure to be creative and agile to create, when possible, new norms. And again, going back to where are the areas where people really can have choices about the how. So I, th- I think of a lot of the talking that I do when I'm working with my team or with other teams or leaders is distinguishing the what from the how. And the what is really about clarity of goals and expectations and communication. The how is really being open to how that might be accomplished within the resources that we have available to us and within the time frame that we have for that specific deliverable. And that recognizes that different people have different work styles. You know, I go back to graduate school <laughs> Graduate school, I was the person whose paper was finished probably five days at least before it was due, so I could let it sit for a while and go back and do the final edit. Several of my colleagues were the kind of people who wrote their paper, they stayed up all night the night before it was due, would have all of these dramatic things happening coffee spilling on their keyboard and everything like that and made the deadline (laughs) probably at the exact minute and their papers were not some of them may have been better than my papers it was their style people have individual work styles and i think it's really important to be able to recognize and when possible be able to honor and work with that so that's leaders are going to have to shift how they approach organizations are going to have to shift how they recruit how they engage because that's going to impact retention
0: and i want to i want to actually shift back to the individual employee the worker you know those of us returning to the to the do do the work You've been talking about how there's been almost a new developmental stage, which as a, as a <laughs> developmental psychologist, I appreciate a great deal. And stages are sort of driven in some ways by crises. And the crisis here you know, is the obvious crisis. But as an individual, the crises are in a crisis of values uh, and a crisis of the relationship between self and the world as the world is changing out of, out of our control. And so you've got a new sense of values, a new approach, a new demand in some cases of the importance to validate values, Uh, not just the individual to validate them, but the world to validate them. And you also have this, as you've said, this depletion, this effect of living and struggling with very stressful, chronically stressful conditions it It's hard to to figure out or to think about how do we grow while we're depleted
1: It's not just the the rediscovery or of values it really is about commitment commitment to your values and your values hierarchy as something that is important but you're committed to doing it and we had talked about it before, that's around boundaries too. So creating these work boundaries that some people are calling quiet quitting, but it really isn't quiet quitting. It's doing your job and doing it well, and that's good enough. So going back to the Winnicottian good enough mother.
0: (laughs) The good enough worker. the,
1: The good enough worker. And What's wrong with that? The good enough worker is getting it done, getting it done well, and their values configurations, and it it may not be a hierarchy, it may be more of a pie chart that all of those other aspects of their life are equally as important, whereas for other workers, the work wedge of their pie chart may fill up more space and that's individual and that that's okay. So being okay with different, different motivators, which is really important because then what's being called quiet quitting will not elicit people just collecting a paycheck and not doing the work because what's being labeled as quiet quitting is not about not doing the work. It really is a kind of judgmental, negative label on individuals who are doing their job, and they're, they're doing it well. They're delivering what's expected.
0: I think that the term sort of reflects a very United States ideal of what work <laughs> is, that work is all-encompassing, and if you're not putting in 125%, then you're not working
1: yes and having having worked in other countries and cultures <laughs> other cultures <laughs> have a very negative view of the american work values or pre pre pandemic values the other thing that i think is really important especially for clinicians working with individuals who have been depleted and stressed <laughs> and by all all of what's been going on the last couple of years is really revisiting the construct of post-traumatic growth. And that's something in our Resilient Leadership Program that's one of the modules, (laughs) focuses on post-traumatic growth and utilizing individual's experience as a means to, to grow out of the chaos internal and external chaos that's been present and really focusing on what do you want to create on the other side? And then also, what are the strengths that you've utilized in the past when you've been in a situation, maybe not the exact situation, but a situation that has elicited similar feelings or depletion, what are the strengths that you characteristically draw on in order to move through that? That has been highly successful in terms of working with teams to move through and beyond the chaos.
0: So I can see that approach being fundamental, both at an organizational but also at the individual level. we were laughing about the term good enough worker <laughs> but but the you know the winnicott the winnicott term good enough mother is really about the caretaker but we're talking about the person who we would traditionally think of as being not exactly cared for but overseen by the organization but it, it, an implication of this seems to be we as workers as employees need to also take care of ourselves and that's perhaps what the growth means the the new stage means the uh, emphasis on commitment to values means and struggling with what that looks like in this world as we're sort of transitioning from uh, the pre-pandemic to the post-pandemic lives we're we're living. I, I guess I wonder how much of this is, is about this transition that we're in between what was three years ago and what we're going to, end up with.
1: Well, I can't I'm don't have a crystal ball. So, I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like, although I do have some ideas. I think it's going to be a blending of finance and people-centric cultures. It's going to need to be. And it's also clear that returning workers, professionals who have revisited and have gained clarity about their values and are committed to creating a life that aligns with what they hold most dear and contributing to an organization will ultimately force organizations, if they want to survive, to be more people-centric. Because those organizations, and again, a lot of the research that has been done by consulting organizations like McKinsey, there's a ton of research on this, so I encourage people to look it up online. Those organizations that do not adapt (laughs) to people, they will not be able to get the workers that they need in order to be successful, and they'll be the dinosaurs of the business world. And that's going to show up in every single sector of the economy. It's already showing up.
0: Obviously, we're, we're always in some kind of a transition. But I think what we're arguing is that this pandemic has is, is a crisis moment that is, trans, is is a major transition. I think there are a number of other things that are feeding into it, as we've, we've uh, alluded to. So we, we, we kind of know where we were, and, and you've used your crystal ball, hopefully, to predict it. An optimistic, an optimistic future. And, and right now, we're in this transition space, though. Transitions are uncertain, and that's you know you, the crystal ball question. We don't really know what's going to happen. And, and there's certainly pushback against the incre- you know the growing demands uh, of workers uh, in some places more than more than others, perhaps. So right now in this, during this transition, transition is a time of uncertainty. Uncertainty. I often talk with with my my clients that that uncertainty is the worst thing in the world. It's where it's it's better to be the hell you you know than the heaven you don't. Uncertainty. People are will do a lot to be certain, even if what they're doing is unhealthy. So how do we help each other? How do we help our clients? How do we help ourselves? in this moment?
1: Well, I I personally see see it as an opportunity. I am somebody who embraces change, not for the sake of not change just for change. I have always viewed change as opportunity for growth, personal growth, but also to be able to contribute it in different ways which ties into into my values the stepping back is really really important first of all to understand to gain an understanding and and that impacts your clinical work but also your work as a as a leader what's the reality that we're working with here that you you're working with with a reality <laughs> of of factors of change factors and sometimes the biggest reality is uncertainty to really step back and around what's in your control what's out of your control so we're not wasting our time our emotional energy <laughs> and our resources on trying to impact something that we do not have the power to impact and focusing, shifting our focus and our perspective on what can I have an impact on? Returning to the concept, and this is something in organizational development and creating new areas that I've done throughout my career, staging. What are the stages? And I think of this because I'm developing a new area right now. What are the stages? and factoring in building in opportunities to celebrate our accomplishments and recognizing those accomplishments as as a leader and as a colleague recognizing those things to celebrate in other people and quite often it's not unusual when you're in a rapidly changing environment where people feel ungrounded or untethered to not remember <laughs> or to forget how important it is to set your perceptual filters at noticing something that's going well or noticing something to appreciate and getting into into that practice of verbalizing it really important And that has an impact, just recognizing, too, that as we shift internally, it impacts our interactions with other people, which impacts their day and their interactions with other people. And even being aware of that ripple impact, I have had students that I've taught in grad school come back to me three to five years later. And and these were students that really pushed at the time, would come back to me years later and say to me that they wanted to communicate that something that I had said in class that they really disagreed with was something that turned out to be a profound growth and learning opportunity for them and how lovely that they came back to let me know. I would have no idea of knowing. So even noticing where is somebody in your life, in your work, the checkout person at the grocery store that you can appreciate verbally.
0: So developing that culture of appreciation, even at the individual level and the person-to-person level.
1: Absolutely. Because that impacts all of your interactions. And it also feels a whole lot better to be looking for something to appreciate than to be looking specifically for things to criticize. There are plenty of both.
0: (laughs) Although it sometimes seems easier to find the things to criticize, I think, (laughs) at least from the... If one goes on to Twitter or social media, <laughs> this this makes me think about you know how how do we sh- how do how do we go from being so depleted to seeing and taking advantage of these opportunities uh, that transition creates or that we create in transition? You've written uh, a lot about resiliency as a skill, uh, a multi domained skill, and it seems like that's. You know this, this. This is the application moment for that. So, so I wonder if you could you could talk about that and and how in this unique moment of time, resiliency plays out or what does it look like?
1: Well, I see I see it as having two main qualities: more of an esoteric level, and more of a pragmatic level. And the esoteric level is more about around the the values and vision, and what do I wanna create in the world? And the more concrete behavioral level is, in service of that, (laughs) that what I value most, what one small thing can I do now? And that one small thing might be, and always is for me, Asking the checkout person at Trader Joe's How's your day going, and really caring about how their day how their day is going, it's transformational at such a small, seemingly small level. I have never asked that question without the person bubbling over with things to say, but then also ending it with thanking me for asking them because what I'm really communicating is, I see you. So even on that seemingly small level, being intentional about moving through our day, what can I see and acknowledge in other people?
0: So again, it's that caring for others, but being but genuine, and it doesn't take much to be genuine in, in wondering how someone's day is going or in, in how someone is doing. And I just want to hook on to another term you use, which is the, the idea of being intentional about all of this. And I guess as, as you're talking about resiliency and thinking about what are people doing in, term, in, in, in their return to work and in intentionally considering their values, how do they use those little moments to be consistent with their values? Uh, so, so the esoteric ide- uh, component of resiliency being, you know, what makes sense to me in this world and the pragmatic being I'm going to live in a way that makes sense to me in the world. And the small things like asking how someone's day is going, being connected to others or the larger things being the great resignation or the demands for more flexibility from the organizations who employ us so in a way it seems like the resiliency the resiliency as a as a way to help us through this transition space is also in turn potentially creating that optimistic future you saw in your crystal ball
1: right step by step one small interaction or seemingly small interaction at a time you have no idea what the ripple impact of that action will be. And, and we don't need to know, but organizationally and as leaders and as colleagues and as clinicians, everything that you do matters. And not from a from a perspective of, oh, you have to be paranoid about everything that you do because it really matters, but more from a, an intentionality that if I'm moving through the world, from the perspective that everything that I say and do do really matters, then I want to be intentional about my words and my actions. Individually and as a leader, doing the work about gaining clarity about what you want to create, whether it's in my own personal life or my leadership role or my organizational life, clarity and intention and small actions and there's books written about that can have a a huge impact
0: well thank you very much i'd like to just end with a a one thing question that is what is one thing our listeners should take from our conversation today
1: Wow, <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> Anything from what we've discussed that connected with them on a personal level, that they can shift into a behavior that can positively impact other people.
0: Dr. Janet Schlaes is the director of the Center for Innovative Lifelong Learning at Rush University Medical Center. She specializes in transforming organizations and leaders to meet the new and ever-changing challenges faced in today's world. Janet, if uh, our listeners wanna learn more about you and your work, where, where can they go?
1: They can connect with me via my email, which you can send out my work email and I would be very happy to send them a link to our website which has our programs. They can get on our mailing list where we will inform them. We have a variety of four-fee programs of free webinars. And our goal is to add value with everything that we do and transform <laughs> transformation.
0: Well, that's, that's one of our goals as well here. And, and we'll, I'll put uh, links and your web your website and your uh, email address into the show notes but thank you so much for joining us today
1: any way that i can be a resource just connect with me
0: i appreciate it thank you again so much
1: you are welcome thank you
0: you've been listening to healthy brain happy body a production of the northeast region biofeedback society go to nrbs.org and find out more about the organization including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal, and our guide today to the healthy brain and happy body was Dr. Janet Schlaes, Director of the Center for Innovative Lifelong Learning at Rush University Medical Center. Look to the show notes for a link to the center and to some of Dr. Schles' articles about returning to the workplace. Remember, you can join NRBS at our virtual conference on October 21st and 22nd with a 25% discount by registering with the code HAPPYLISTENER at NRBS.ORG. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really want to hear from you. Be part of this ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, ideas, and questions at healthybrain at NRBS.ORG. Leave us reviews as well. It really helps podcasts like this one reach more ears. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body.